An extremely interesting transaction connected to one of the earliest Bitcoin wallets has got the crypto community scratching their heads. Was it the legendary Satoshi Nakamoto? A mystery count has rescued $6 million in steam from Justin Sun's rogue hard fork. And Joe Rogan isn't the only person leaving YouTube. A crypto YouTuber is seeking to escape totalitarian tyranny by moving to Saipan. We've also got news regarding the end of the Telegram battle with the SEC, along with a little help from our friend Josh Lawler. And Travis and I have gone so far down the NFT rabbit hole that we're spinning off a new live show focused on the digital collectible space. It's kind of nifty. More about that, a little about this, and perhaps a bit about that other thing. Oh, and happy Bitcoin Pizza Day. Grab a slice and settle in for our bad news, episode number 409 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. A very merry pizza day to all from myself and Mr. Travis Wright. Hello, friends. I, I think I think I'm gonna have to have some pizza today. Me too. I got a pizza in the I got a pizza in the in the freezer right in there. It's called the Lotsa Matza. You should probably go ahead and you know just preheat the oven now. By the time we're done recording, you'll be ready to eat uh, your pizza. Eat some pizza, pizza. Yeah. Well, that's really good. It should be called the pizza, pizza. So a lot the of people matza probably don't know what you know what do you mean bitcoin pizza day today documents the day that laszlo heniex i don't know how to pronounce his last name purchase for two domino's pizzas went through he spent ten thousand bitcoin for these two pizzas it was uh may 22nd well so he he posted the request to order them to buy pizza with Bitcoin on May 17th, but on May 22nd when he successfully made the trade. Damn, that's a long, that takes five five days to get delivery? But well, no, no, he put the request out and somebody took him up on no, it. So it, to me, that's like, you know, ten, it always blows me away, 10,000 Bitcoin. But without him actually using Bitcoin for the first time to buy something tangible, then Bitcoin would have never have been. Uh, you know, uh, this, this sort of uh, value exchange now. And and so we we owe a lot to him. And you think, wow, 10,000 Bitcoin, that sure is a lot, and especially in today's money. $90 million. That's an expensive-ass pizza. Hopefully, the person who bought the pizza or bought, or bought, used, bought the Bitcoin uh, or took the Bitcoin for the pizza, hopefully that person hodled. Yeah. And he's like, I have no idea how to get this out of my wallet. I'm just going to hold it here and wait until 20... 18 and um his life that, that person's life would have been well tremendous. if he would have sold it at the peak he would have had 200 million dollars yeah for that pizza what what a story so laszlo was the first official buyer of a good or a service with uh, with bitcoin so we commemorate and lift our glasses to laszlo and his two domino's pizzas today way to go laszlo domino's pizza and i don't know if you knew this but he could have probably got both those pizzas for like 16 bucks you know what you can't get for a lot of people you can't get crypto easily and so mainstream adoption and onboarding people is key that's why our friends at mobipay mobipay.io have a solution super easy to 
get your cryptos and on and off with fiat if you so choose with the MobiPay um, application. Go to MobiPay.io, participate in their beta, and they'll give you $10 in MBX tokens. It's MobiPay.io, M-O-B-I-E, pay.io. They got a lot of cool things brewing that we can't necessarily talk about yet, but brewing indeed. So They're big ups and big shout out to the Moby. Beer now? See, are they turning into a brewery? Big ups. That's not going to be a brewery. Okay, let's go to the news. And let's get on the same page here with a timestamp of 1118 Mountain Standard Time here in Denver on May 22nd in the year of 2020. The crypto market caps looking greener right now, 257 billion. Bitcoin, 92.26. Ethereum back over 200 at 207. Tether at a dollar doing what Tether does. XRP, 20 cents. Bitcoin Cash, $235. Bitcoin SV lagging behind at 195. Litecoin, 44. Or the Binance coin, 1672, EOS, 256, and Tezos is number 10 at $2.85. Travis, who are the big winners and losers this week? Yeah, some really big winners this week. Omizago, remember them? Omizago, Omizago, Oizago, Oizago. It's been a while ago, but uh, OMG, 92% gain. The Solve token, Solve, it's the... uh, that is Solve.care. They are a healthcare company. We talked about them a lot. They're up 67% this long week. time ago. They were on the show. Yeah, we had them on the show a long, long time ago. The Theta Network, which we which we actually streamed the virtual blockchain week on, they're up almost 51%. So you guys are welcome over there. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's all relative to that. Some other big winners, Nano was up. Uh, and also one not in the top. 10 or top 100 but in the top 110 is wax wax was up over 35 percent this week and we have a we have an assumption that has to do with a little bit of the digital collectible nft uh gpks the garbage pail kids cards we talked about last week Mm -hmm. and more about that in a little later in the show because we do have lots to say about digital collectibles and nfts really no major losers this week the biggest one is energy nrg down 32 percent a few others down a little bit but mostly a a positive week for crypto and one that's down that's interesting is that digibyte is down for the week 18 percent but in the last 24 hours it's up 17 percent due to a partnership that they recently announced with a company that we're going to maybe have on the show here in the next couple of weeks. The cryptos, they go up. The cryptos, they go down. Um, and speaking of the early days of crypto, Mr. Travis Wright, this story um, this week might be one of the reasons that we saw some volatility. On May 20th, uh, there's this article here on Cointelegraph.com that poses the question, did did Satoshi Nakamoto just move his coins for the first time in 11 years? And the reason people are asking if it's him is that there is a wallet address that's contained coins that were mined in February 2009. That's one month after the launch of the Bitcoin mainnet. And apparently that address moved its entire holdings to do two different Bitcoin wallets. Now, we're not talking a lot of Bitcoins in this particular address. There's just 50 of them. I mean, I'd be happy with 50 of them, but compared to, you know, the million that it's alleged Satoshi had, 
people are wondering, is this a, um, you know, one of Satoshi's wallets? Yeah, now think about that. 50 Bitcoin that I lost in a dumpster somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Oh, oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> that was early Bitcoin, but not that early. But uh, yeah, we're talking February 2009. So who is it? Satoshi Nakamoto? Hal Finney? Like, one of those other early cypherpunks, like whose wallet is this? Nobody knows exactly whose wallet it is, but some of the theories are that it's maybe Hal Finney's family. Uh, it's either Marty Malmi, who was one of the early guys on board, or Satoshi Nakamoto himself. Now, the fact that it was Satoshi, that it's Satoshi Nakamoto, if that's the case, it freaks people out thinking, wow, well, he's got a million Bitcoin, or she, he, she, or Zer has a million Bitcoin out there that could be moved and why could you imagine if, if if a big chunk of that was moved and put into the market how that could that's the biggest whale of them all that could make the market really sketchy so that's kind of one of the theories we're trying to see what what happened on that but there are so you know we we had a, a quick brief conversation with Monty Greenspan yesterday off the record and uh, he said that, you know, there's a support at about 6,000. There's another lower support at about 4,000. If it's going to go down, it's going to hit one of those or we're going to rebound. And it's been testing that $10,000 support line, trying to resistance and trying to bust through that. And every time it's met with serious resistance and headed down. So we'll have to I see believe how that all pans out. that resistance is futile. So I found this other... <laughs> follow-up article here on Cointelegraph and the lawyers for Craig Wright are saying that he has the key to the encrypted Satoshi file and that somehow they're going to demonstrate this in, in evidence. Um, you guys can go check it out more, read the whole story. I don't want to go too deep on Mr. Craig Wright, but the uh, show notes for all of the articles that we're going to reference in this episode are at badco.in forward slash 409 and you can check them out right there and get more information also on cointelegraph this week three bitcoin price metrics have just converged and historically a bull run has always followed mr joel com this right here talks about um these the, there's there are a couple of these analyst favorite metrics that uh, that have all converged the 200 day moving average the metcalf and the lowest price forward these three Bitcoin metrics, and on April 29th, it was only the fourth time in history that they've converged, and the prior three were followed by a substantial uptick in price, Mr. Joe Com. So what does that mean? It means that perhaps that resistance will be broken, you know, soon. It, look, if I was a betting man, I'm not a gambler, but I suppose when we invest, we're all gambling to some degree, right? We're betting, we're using uh, an educated best guess of what we think is going to happen. In my mind, there's no question that Bitcoin is going to break through $10,000. It's just a matter of when, right? Not a financial advisor. Don't invest because I said this, Okay. You be responsible for your own monies. But in my mind, in my humble opinion, or not so humble, there's no question that Bitcoin is going to break through 10,000. I just don't know when. And then it's going to go up from there. Do you, do you agree? Well, we also, I mean, we, we wouldn't be doing this podcast for th almost three years now if I didn't agree that the price of Bitcoin is going to get higher than $10,000 again. I mean, it did in 2019 briefly, 
right? It was down to 3,200 and then it got up to 13,000 something, something. And then it dropped back down to 6,000 something. And it booked up back up to about 10,000 something. And then just up and down and up and down. it really, it was like ping pong in between six grand and 10 grand. And then it dropped below six grand with this whole Rona. Mm-hmm. And uh, once the Rona hit, it dropped down to 30 something hundred now back up to 10 grand. And then now it's back down to nine grand. And it's like, it seems to me that we're teetering back and forth, but it's, I, it seems to me it's got to pop through that 10,000 sooner or later. What's and the I, difference? And, and, you know, then I'm of the belief, Mr. Joel Com, that the having is a thing that is going to impact the future price of Bitcoin, not directly right now. And it's going to be this slow sort of rolling up to over 10, up to 12, up to 13, 15, sometime around there. And then, I think we'll see something like we saw in late 2017. Well, something will happen, and then it will just go pop, 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 and it'll, we'll see like $3,000 gains in a day. You know, like it was just so crazy in, in, in late 2017 where we were seeing 500 gains, 1500 $2,500 $2, gain, like almost $2,500 gain in one day. Like there's going to come a time in the future where I think we'll see $10,000 gains in one day when the price gets way high. And it's going to be crazy. We're going to go, oh, my God, it just went up 10 grand today. And we're going to go, this is good news. And uh, it's going to be crazy. But, again, not financial advisors. That's just our assumption because we wouldn't be doing this show if we didn't believe. I'm a believer. Now, yep. look in my face. I'm a believer. Surf's up, dude. Mm-hmm. So, apparently, there's been a story going around that ISIS, the terrorist organization, has $300 million in a Bitcoin war chest that they're using to fund terror groups. And the folks at Chainalysis have debunked this. They've debunkified the whole thing. They've put out some reports that saying it does not exist. And apparently the rumors stemmed from a report by Hans Jacob Schindler, the director of the Counter Extremism Project, and he just suggested that cryptos might have been one of the ways that funds were uh, being used because I guess that ISIS is somehow missing $300 million. Where'd they put it? Mm. Hard to say. But uh, one thing is one thing Under that the is we've talked that about. Isn't that where terrorists put their money under the mattress? I'm not sure, but what happens when they get blown up? They probably need to put it under somebody else's mattress. Um, so Chainalysis have done a lot of really solid research before. I think they they discovered that they did a report back in January of 2018 where they sort of uncovered this worldwide international pedophile ring using Bitcoin payments. They've done a bunch of other stuff. researching crime and using of crypto, they'll go back in and their technology can really go and connect the dots on all these different crypto purchases. And so when Chainalysis comes out and says, hey, this is what we see, it's always something you want to take a look at because historically they've been pretty spot on. So if they say no, you know, ISIS does not have a Bitcoin war chest. uh, My question is, is ISIS? I haven't heard about ISIS in like two years. Like, it's like, I thought pretty much, it seemed to me like they, their funding has been depleted and they, they there's no news on ISIS anymore. You don't hear about ISIS anymore. Uh, it seems like they've been wiped out. So maybe they have a war chest, but no people. I don't know. There's lots of people who probably still hate America, though. <laughs> 
You know, Travis, one of the most interesting interviews at Virtual Blockchain Week was the opportunity we had to speak with Justin Sun, the founder of Tron. And there's just so much controversy around his acquisition of the Steam blockchain. There are a lot of people were very unhappy with how this went down. Um, there's a lot of people that have staked millions of dollars in Steam tokens, and they got so pissed off that they forked steam and created hive so anybody that was holding steam you got one for one hive i was fortunate enough to uh, to have that and so hey all of a sudden free money from hive yeah i was pretty excited i checked mine and i was like boom 22 dollars worth of hive uh. but here's the deal uh, apparently justin was not happy with the those that did the fork and he did another hard fork basically a software update and they froze out six million dollars in steam from some of the biggest stakeholders so when that fork took place those coins didn't move over and so what happened to them so according to what agro was saying and what this article here on coin telegraph is talking about the hard fork planned to transfer these funds from these 64 steam accounts to another steam account named Community 321, and uh, Bitrix was aware of the plan, and uh, then what ended up happening was some hacker ended up hacking that account of some sort, and then what, sent it to, what exchange did they send it to? They sent it to another exchange. Sent it to Bitrix, and all of them just showed up in this Bitrix account. Bitrix is like, what is going on here? Yeah, so apparently some white hat uh, is trying to save the day for the Steam users who had all of those 17.6 million tokens or or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, they were going to be moving it over to Tron and doing all this other stuff and then hosing all these people who had all these tokens. I guess that was the soft fork in April where there was 17.6 million tokens frozen. This time there was about roughly $5.7 million worth of Steam tokens. So there was some shenanigans going on. This whole Justin Sun steam drama continues. And we actually asked him about it during the interview you're going to hear in the next couple of days whenever that thing goes live. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't feel good to me. Like what it seems happened? a little shysty. It almost seems like how could somebody take over an open source blockchain like this, utilize it to their benefit, and then freeze people out of their own tokens. That seems to me that if there's anybody that should have the SEC knocking on their door, that's something that seems to me that they should have the SEC knocking on their door and saying, hey, what the hell's going on here? Because the SEC is worried about people getting hosed out of their money. That's their biggest, biggest issue. And they're going after these ICOs. But how about, how about big boy Tron over here that's pulling stuff like that? That seems to me is to be unethical AF. And it should be checked into. Yeah, uh, I'm. It, it smells uh, bad as far as I'm concerned. Well, I, I apologize. I ate a lot of beans last night. <laughs> so there's certainly some wonky ways for crypto to get shenanigized on blockchain, but there's always people that are trying to steal your cryptos and steal your data. And the biggest lender in the crypto world is BlockFi. Apparently, they had a data breach last week and you know this is this is scary stuff right because people are entrusting 
their cryptocurrency to this DeFi organization. Um, they're saying that no customer funds were lost, but apparently somebody did get in. Yeah. You know, this whole BlockFi and DeFi and the stuff that's going on with this, I mean, you know, there's been a couple other instances where DeFi companies have had some shenanigans and stuff going on. So, you know, be careful, buyer beware. I do think that DeFi is a really innovative technology within the blockchain space. These companies just got to get more secure. This is just, you know, luckily no no funds were were accessed, so that's good. But, you know, BlockFi, they're on they're on track to hit 50 million in revenue over the course of these next 12 months. And, you know, they're they're now a target. And so they said the breach lasted about an hour, but did not impact any funds. Who knows what kind of data was, um, you know, was grabbed. It looks like, you know, maybe customer email addresses, postal addresses, social security numbers, images of client licenses and passports and government issued IDs were not exposed, it says. So who knows? That's one of those things where they they do that know your customer and you got to, you know, here's my driver's license, here's my passport, here's my here's my social security number, here's my address, here's my email, here's my phone number. Now anybody if they access that data, they can go set up an exchange, you know, in, in an account in your name. So keep that secure people. This is this is scary stuff. This is important. Lock it down. In other news, Mr. Travis Wright, our friend uh, Seth Shapiro is one of the people who was a victim of a SIM swap on AT&T where he lost $1.8 million in crypto. And uh, AT&T is trying to shut this lawsuit down that he's filed. And basically, the judge said, uh, nope, can't dismiss this. This suit is is moving forward and it will continue. We want to hear this case. And so uh, we're rooting for you, Seth. Uh, also, in the same article here on Cointelegraph has mentioned Michael Turpin, who is seeking more than $200 million in compensation for the $23.8 million SIM swap attack that he faced back at the crypto high in January of 2018. So um, lawsuits moving forward and these big telcos uh, must not win this battle because, you know, talk about locking down your stuff. They do not do a good job of securing, securing, securitizing, making secure their customers' data. Yeah, and we actually had, uh, you know, we we know Seth. Seth, uh, we worked with him on a on a blockchain documentary project a couple years ago, and we wish him the very very best. Hopefully, that works out in his favor. Travis, there's a crypto YouTuber by the name of Vin Armani. He's the founder of Cointext. And he's like looking at the state of the, you know, the world. And he's saying, I want to get out of here. In fact, he decided to move to Saipan, which I'm guessing is in Asia. Where the hell is Saipan? It's in the Northern Mariana Islands. And uh, the islands are a U.S. commonwealth. So it makes it easier for, for citizens to access. There's only about 52,000 people live in or on Saipan. But it does sound like Taiwan and Japan and all those. Saipan. I've heard of Saipan before, but I have no idea. I have no I could never. I cannot point to it. My guess is maybe somewhere near Fiji. I've heard of a frying pan. 
that's that's all I know. But it's you know it's a it's a Pacific, North uh, South Pacific Island, I guess. And okay, he yeah. basically wanted to get out from what he calls a totalitarian tyranny that he thinks is about to occur. He was in California, and you know. Say what you want to say, but I heard a clip from the mayor of Los Angeles here um, just this morning while I was out for my walk on a podcast. And he said that if people wanted the liberty to stroll through the parks, they better wear their masks and they're going to have to earn their freedoms back. I'm, I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing said this? Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles. I mean, talk wow. that is totalitarian. Earn my God-given rights to right. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that, yeah. like, that's some heavy If hand. you're around no one and the temperature is over a certain, certain degrees, then a lot of this stuff is just control mechanisms. And it's just, it's just people, people are seeing through it. I mean, if you look through Twitter and you look through some of these social media sites, people are seeing through this and more people are aware. Like, I, I you know, I've I've read and I've researched and I said uh, I see where oh totalitarian stuff's coming we're gonna, you know the governments are going to do all that. and you're like okay well I see this maybe it's going to happen but here it is and now people are going wow this is some crazy stuff like never would you assume that we were going to see this kind of lockdown stuff in America um, and it is it is it's, it's it's crazy oh by the way Saipan is in those groups of group of islands. That is that is near Guam, so it's like on the it's northeast of Guam, just by a little bit. Well, there you go. It's our geography lesson and our pontificating for the day. There you go. Now with more banter, we appreciate that. And uh, apparently, our regulators, well, at least Congress is asking regulators to begin checking out where does the U.S. rank in terms of adoption of blockchain tech relative to other nations of the world. And uh, they want to pass a bill, essentially, that would do a survey of uh, what this looks like so we can examine and see just how far behind is the United States in jumping on the blockchain bandwagon. Well, I, I tell you, this right here is is very relevant. And we've talked about this multiple times over the last three years about how innovation is leaving America and how the federal government and the SEC really are pushing their regulations and pushing things on the on the companies and it's actually killing them and it's killing innovation and it's making America fall behind in the whole blockchainification space. And so on that, let's have a quick segue over here and let's let's introduce a friend of the show, Josh Lawler, who is an attorney with uh, Lawler's with, with an attorney with Zuber Lawler who was one of our sponsors on uh uh, virtual blockchain week and uh, we had a quick chat with him to talk about what was going on with regulations and what's going on with telegram back at virtual blockchain week in may we had the opportunity to welcome josh lawler from the zuber lawler law firm to the uh, to podium and he spoke about smart contracts and he's joining us here again today to talk about a legal matter that is, I think, just about closed as far as the courts are concerned. And it's around this Telegram uh, alleged securities launch. Josh, welcome back to Bad Crypto. Thank you very much, Joel. Good to see you and Travis again. Um, and I do see you. That's, that's a special pleasure for me right now. Uh, but uh, 
But do you see into our hearts and how much I, I, I see into your hearts and your hearts are, are pure and undisturbed. And I'm going to change that right now. I'm not sure you uh, saw into my heart correctly. <laughs> I have to have the ruby colored. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyways, putting that aside. Um, telegram. Telegram. Yeah, let's talk about that because it's been in the news. It is. Um, guys, virtually nobody understands how badly we have effed up what we have as far as the securities world in the United States, both for cryptocurrency and quite honestly for non-cryptocurrency. I also, didn't do it. I, I didn't do it. It is it is one of the most poorly reasoned and thought out rulings that I think I've seen. Thankfully, it's not actually binding on anything because it was on a preliminary injunction, but the SEC is still going to use it. What they did here, putting everything aside, forget about the Howey test, forget about all the stuff that we usually talk about. There is traditionally been, and it comes out of regulation, a one-year hold period. You do a private transaction, you sell to the purchasers, purchasers hold for one year, and they can resell. And that's part of what's in Regulation D is one of the requirements on no resales one year. It's also part of uh, certain other uh, SEC regulations. It's a general, wonderful, bright line thing. And they trashed it. Um, what the court did to get to their holding was to say that the initial, off, the initial purchasers who purchased from Telegram uh, purchased with a view to resell even though they held it for more than a year. The purchase was at the time done with a view that they were going to resell. So they used that to call them statutory underwriters. And an underwriter is not the same as a purchaser for Reg D purposes. And therefore, it was held to be one continuous transaction. And therefore, the distribution of these, these gram tokens was going to be securities rather than uh, property. And what that means is that everybody who did a SAF did it wrong, according to this ruling. Everybody, everybody in 2017 did it wrong. Mm. It also means that in the regular world, everybody who's done a private transaction of any kind of security relying on the Reg D exemption, where their purchaser sat there and thought, you know what, I'm going to sell this after a year, which is not uncommon at all. They also got swept up in this thing. Um, so we have, uh, in this case, really, really trashed uh, what the, the landscape looks like. And it's already driving stuff overseas um, as well it should. Uh, there, there's just now a complete and total lack of clarity and instruction on how to legally do stuff. So, so that's, it makes it seem extremely vague and it, and it sounds very bad because we already had a problem with companies leaving America and innovation leaving in droves. And here we are in the, you know, one of the worst parts of our economy is things are going crazy. And then companies that should be building and doing stuff here are leaving. Like this sounds like worst case scenario. Pretty much. Um, I was amazed that they, that they got there. I, you know, the thing to really recognize here is uh, Telegram really tried to do this right. Um, and I'm not just saying that because my old firm represents them, although they do. Um, but they, they hired one of the best firms on the planet to do this deal for them. They had the same firm defending them in, in, in court. Um, this, wasn't, this wasn't kick, uh, which you know, was, was a wing and a prayer at the time and, and deserved to get squashed. This was something where they really tried to do it right. 
Yeah, because they didn't they didn't allow anybody who wasn't uh, you know had a million have a million dollars and to be an investor like they went to all those 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 what what are the, what are the, what are those investors what are those investors called accredited investors yeah accredited investors and so the little people couldn't that's what pissed me off about Telegram was that little people couldn't go in and get a, get any time it was only yep. the the accredited investors and so they did all that right and it still was wrong yeah that's that's pretty much it. So are your hearts dark now? My heart is dark. My heart is heavy. I am full of joy and optimism regardless <laughs> of, you know, the stupidity of uh, what some do. So how do you think this is going to all flush out, you know? Well, as mentioned, the ruling is on a preliminary injunction, which means it's not binding in the future. Um, and, you know, the reality is that the law as applied to digital assets in many cases makes no sense whatsoever. And that shouldn't surprise anybody because we're basing it off of a court case over orange groves from 1946. Uh, that's the Howie test. Um, but the part, the, the powers that be want everything to fit nicely and it doesn't. And my hope, uh, and I do hang out with the Chamber of Digital Commerce and doing some work with the World Economic Forum, et cetera. My hope is that we're going to actually have some legislative action at some point to set this stuff right. But that is a very slow process. You know, we had uh, Sheila Warren on not yeah. too long ago, and she's very savvy about this stuff. So certainly she's got to be a proponent there and, a, a, you know, a, a, an advocate. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I think she is. I don't know her personally, but I, from what I do know. Um, cool. We like her. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it's good. It's it's really, I have to say, the, the Chamber of Digital Commerce, which is a, a D.C. group that's, you know, very, very uh, lobbying, legislative oriented. And joining that has given me a, a very depressing look into the legislative process and how hard it is to get anything, particularly anything that's got a level of complexity like this through. Um, but. In any case, the world goes on. Everything for a reason. They should be. They should be more open. We should be more. You know, we, we should be. You know, pleased with innovation, but not try to stifle it. Right? It's like you know the big powers that be, though. That we're they're, they're thinking. Oh wait, this is digital money and digital contracts and digital things. Like we want to keep our monopoly on this. We don't want to open up the floodgates. So it's a little bit of a yeah. problem, I think, for some of them. And so you know. Just maybe maybe give people a quick background. Some people have maybe never heard of of uh, your law firm, and you guys specialize on all this stuff. So give you guys give a shout out to to the uh, Zuber Lawler and let everybody know what's up and how you might be able to help them out if they have some issues. Absolutely, thank you, Travis. I do always forget the small talk. Uh, so I'm a partner at the law firm Zuber Lawler. We're uh, about 17 years old, 40 attorneys, LA, New York, Chicago, Silicon Valley, more or less full service. Uh, we are who you hire if you've got a very complicated problem that doesn't require a lot of bodies. Uh, we have a particular specialty in um, kind of cutting edge technology and subject matter uh, that includes uh, digital ledger technology. Uh, and um, I practice as both a securities attorney and an IP uh, attorney uh, and also run a, a side project that's smart contract oriented and securities oriented. So we have one of the most kind of uh, fulsome views of kind of the, the token sphere that you're going to find. Uh, and we're very good at you know, solving problems and trying to make things work. Uh, and everything short of uh, getting Telegram to get ruled on correctly. 
<laughs> well, we appreciate you coming in and updating the, us on this. The website is zuberlawler.com, spelled Z-U-B-E-R-L-A-W-L-E-R. It, it's always ironic. So, you know, getting into law and having the name Lawler, you know, I'm in I'm in the dot-com industry. My last name is Com. And My last name's right, and I'm always He's always right. wrong. Right. <laughs> I should have picked right instead, but it's a broader case. For your last name, Travis. Yeah, that's nice. We'll have to have you on more whenever there's some interesting law cases that are coming on around the whole uh, the crypto world and blockchain stuff. Because we're proponents of you know innovation in America and companies that are in the brightest people. You know, the next Silicon Valley is not going to be in America, folks. The crypto no. valley is already in Switzerland and yeah. some of these other yeah. places, Singapore. And so us putting the kibosh on these projects before they fully bloom is not smart it's not good for the future economy and i don't know how to get that through to their thick skulls not good uh keep doing what you're doing you guys are doing doing the lord's work as far as i'm concerned actually well, amen blockchain. yeah no it, it, it really it really is um your your mass media on the topic that's you know on point and you know that that's what's needed that is actually right right what's needed so thank you guys for that i'm happy to come on anytime you guys will have me Thanks, Josh. We appreciate it. Sure thing. Take care, guys. Thank you, Mr. Lawler, for that information. And I have a feeling he'll be back when other interesting legal matters do arise. And less important, but equally interesting, last week on Twitter, J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potty, Harry Potty. <laughs> I have a Harry Potter toilet. Harry Potter series <laughs> posted on Twitter that she's like, can somebody explain Bitcoin to me? And of course, you know, crypto Twitter just went nuts. So many people responded to her and engaged to try. They, they tried to make these analogies to, you know, muggles and wizarding and, and all of the, you know, things that she would understand. And um, I'm not sure anybody got through to her or not, but it definitely blew up Twitter. Yeah, it did. And in fact, Elon Musk even chimed in saying that Bitcoin was uh, you know, potentially attractive against government printing money, although he still only possesses 0.25 of a Bitcoin, so he says. I bet he gets more, but I'm not a financial advisor. Elon Musk can get more. We got money, you can get some. Get 100 one of the better explanations I've seen, Travis, is from our friend Girl Gone Crypto. At, uh, it's uh, at Girl Gone underscore crypto. And she said, J.K. Rowling, today you asked someone to help explain Bitcoin. I see you've gotten a variety of responses. I hope this video helps. Please enjoy. And she called it a muggle's guide to Bitcoin. It's about two minutes long. She's got Harry Potter stuff going on on the green screen behind her and uh, had 580 retweets already um and go to our show notes and go check out the link to the um the video so you guys can go see it for yourself because it it's hard to explain you know blockchain and bitcoin to some people in terms that they understand so i i feel like jk rowling should have replied to her um she didn't come on jk say something that's great content that right there is timely See, that's how you do content, folks. Pay attention to that. Here's something goes on, and immediately she went, boom, I'm going to create a video, and boom, this thing's got 75,000 views, 
2,500 likes, over 500 retweets, and that's just on Twitter, and she has it in other places as well. So great job. Also, in the mainstream, in the entertainment industry, you know, we've previously had author Ben Mesrick on the show. He's the guy that wrote The Bitcoin Billionaires and got to know the Winklevi um, really well. And apparently, there's a TV show out there, which many of you probably watch, called Billions. It's on Showtime. And Ben tweeted out Billions this Sunday night. I'm not saying there's definitely going to be some Bitcoin. I'm just saying I did happen to write the episode. I mean, just saying. And the episode indeed did revolve around a crypto mining scheme and a prep school. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to go seek it out now because I want to see how they covered it in this television show. Is that a show you watch normally? It's not. I've heard it. That's a really good show. And now that I know, you know, Ben is writing for it, I'm sure that the, the quality is top notch. But it's it's really interesting to me that, you know, storylines like this about Bitcoin are permeating popular culture you know when you've got jk rowling says hey somebody explain this to me right and you've got a popular television drama that mm-hmm. had a whole episode centered around it yeah are- rappers talking about bitcoin in their in their songs you know it's it's, it's definitely permeating uh, the culture people if you i guarantee you there's, I, there's very few people out there i would say who hasn't even ever heard of bitcoin so it's like if, if, if you're 12 years into this and you haven't even heard of bitcoin do you even internet at that point? Like, come on. So more and more people are going to know about it. And more and more projects are working on making it simple for people to onboard and offboard people, you know, the, the gateways from crypto to fiat. And this is pretty exciting because our friends at Upland, Upland.me, have announced a strategic partnership with the Tilia division of Linden Lab. Linden Labs are the people behind Second Life. And Upland is going to be the first third-party app to use Tilia that will let people sell their UPEX for real money and be completely compliant. So those properties that you might be acquiring in the Upland game at upland.me, you'll be able, if you sell them back to the Upix tokens, you'll be able to cash out into Dirty Fiat and watch it uh, decrease in value. What's the name of that third party company? It's called Tilia, T-I-L-I-A. Go ahead and tell me. What's it called? Work with me. It's called Tilia, so I'm making a joke here. You're telling me. It's... I don't know where you want me to go with it. You want me to just go with it? Okay. It's, it's, yeah, edit, edit this so it make, makes sense. I'm going, yes. so you call it's called Tilia. I'm like, okay, tell me. What's it called? I, I'm I'm gonna tell you. It's Tilia. Oh, it's Tilia. Oh, Tilia. thanks for telling me. Till I tell you. Okay, that's great. Tell you. <laughs> so that's a Linden Labs thing. So that's that's second, that's second life. That's the what is that? So that must they've teamed up and bringing what second life payment it's the virtual onto the crypto world right so wow. more con- telling me taking place right there and you know of course these virtual properties in upland um you know are digital collectibles and travis you and i are so down the rabbit hole of digital collectibles i mean we've been tracking this stuff since crypto kitties was a thing, right? Right when Crypto Kitties hit, we jumped on that. We got our kitties. You lost yours, and they're still out there somewhere in the the kitty ether. First generation Crypto Kitty, boy, lost forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. So sad, so sad. If anybody sees Travis's kitties, feed them. You know, probably some, hungry. Some ones and zeros, so they 
Feed me now. Yeah. Feed me right now. Well, here's what we're doing, gang. Uh, after you know tracking this for the past two years or so, and then seeing the incredibly successful launch of Tops. Um, garbage pail kids on the wax blockchain, we've realized that this space is something we really enjoy covering. And so we are pleased to announce that beginning on Friday, May 29th, we're going to be doing a live show on the various streaming platforms. And it's going to be called the Nifty Show. And and Mr. Joel Com, I don't know if you knew this, folks, but he's a poet and he didn't know it. I guess he did know it because he wrote the jingle for the nifty show and then got somebody on fiverr to publish it and make it all badass but this this song's pretty nifty here it is looking into the future what do we see it's lined with digital collectibles we call them nfts games trading cards digital art and those crypto kitties travis and joel are the hosts you'll know travis and joel say this won't blow so the first episode will air live and you'll be able to watch it on the bad crypto facebook page on the um bad crypto youtube channel also on the uh virtual blockchain week channel on theta.tv and if you go to theniftyshow.com, you'll be able to watch it there as well. I think we can just embed the video. It's going to go live Friday, May 29th at 5 o'clock Eastern Time, 2 o'clock Pacific. And we are looking forward to covering all things digital collectibles because we've seen the future and it is collectible. Hey, before we wrap this thing up, just hot off the press. So remember we chatted back in the day about Samsung doing a partnership with Engine? Yeah. Yeah. So Samsung has finally made their blockchain keystone into an app and it has a pretty cool, unique feature. And you can see here there's uh, there's recommended dApps there. And uh, and so what's interesting about this is they have a dApp section and there's a there's a collectibles area right there as well. So you'll be able to keep all of your NFTs on your Samsung blockchain key store. So if you have a Samsung device when they have that latest update, you're going to be able to have an area to be able to store your dApps and look at your NFTs and check out your cryptos. And I think that is a good sign when it comes to mass adoption. Samsung's pretty big, huh? Yeah, I would say so. Dapp's right. <laughs> dapp's pretty nifty. Excellent. Well, there you go, gang. There's the news for the week. And then some hope you've enjoyed the show. Please do share with others in your sphere and show that you care, and then they'll be happy that you have hair or not. Yeah. I don't see I'm a poet. I guess <laughs> nothing less to be said other than stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's 
and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.